Loads of people want to be a leader. They want the position, the power, the prominence and the praise that comes from being the one in charge. The one in the limelight. The one calling the shots. But like in that video, Christian leadership in church or in family or in any other aspect of our lives is not, is not supposed to be out like that. Rather, it's about influencing other people by our example. It's about living a sacrificial life of commitment to Christ. Loving others even when it gets tough. Showing up faithfully day after day. Putting the needs and interests of others ahead of our own. But it seems like the, the Christian church in Corinth didn't understand this. They were far too influenced by their culture and were impressed by those who seemed to be accomplished and powerful and successful. And so in his letter to them, in chapter 4, in the second section of chapter 4, Paul taught this church what Christian leadership really looks like. He did this by urging them to follow his example as he was following the example of Christ. And this is something that we all need to learn to do. Whatever our role in life or our ministry is. So we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 8 down to verse 21. Down to the end of the chapter. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that you also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have, men, have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you to Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will re remind you of all of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with gentle spirit? 
Paul wrote some challenging things in this letter to the Corinthian church. But he didn't do it to make the church feel bad. Instead he wrote it because he cared about them like his own kids. He said, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Through their faith in Jesus, these people have become children of God. But this had happened through Paul's ministry. He said in verse 15, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, Paul wasn't the only one who'd ever ministered in this church in Corinth, but nobody else had his foundational role. He was one who took the gospel to that city. And so Paul cared for them as a father cares for his own children. Now, Paul wasn't trying to claim a a title or a position or authority as father of this church. He knew what Jesus had said about this. He said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. So Paul wasn't claiming this as a title, but he was showing that he had a unique relationship with this church. Because he was there with them at the start, he cared for them deeply. And so he was writing this letter to them out of love. And this is what Christian leadership looks like. It's expressing that kind of fatherly care for God's kids. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. We dealt with you, each of you, as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urge you to live lives worthy of God. But this isn't something that we can just do through words. This also needs to be done through our lives. So Paul said here in verse 16, Therefore I urge you, To imitate me. Now Paul knew he wasn't perfect. He was aware of his own weaknesses and his limitations. But he knew that Christian leadership is not so much just about telling other people what to do. Instead it's about living out the truth in our own lives. And calling other people to follow our example. Now, of course, only Jesus did this perfectly. His call to his disciples was to come, follow me. Jesus alone is the perfect revelation of God's truth. Throughout his life, he alone flawlessly displayed God's love and holiness, his power and his purpose. And so, living life to the full is about following Jesus. It's about walking in his footsteps. It's about living as he lived. And so our job is to point people to Jesus so that they can follow him. But as we try to do this, we preach far more through our lives than we do through our words. And that's why Paul called people to imitate him. And he said later in this letter, in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
That's Christian leadership. It's about following Jesus and allowing other people to see that reality in our lives so that they can learn to follow Jesus too. Of course, that doesn't mean that we need to be perfect. That doesn't mean we need to hide all of our flaws or all of our faults. Our message is not about us. It's about Jesus. He alone is the saviour. We are simply sinners who have been saved by God's grace. But it does mean that we need to be authentic. Paul said about his way of life in Christ Jesus that it agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul lived out what he preached. And we need to do the same, folks. We need to live out what we believe. If we are going to have an influence on other people, we need to put into practice what we hold on to. And we need to do, be willing to do this in front of other people. Allowing them to see us as we really are. See us as we, how we run to Christ when we fail. How we rely on his strength and his power. How we rest in him each day. How we rejoice in his love and his grace. His forgiveness. And so Paul, when writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4 and 12, he said this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So leading like Christ means that we care enough about others to point them to Jesus through our example. But that's not easy. In fact, it's incredibly costly. Whenever a a Roman general came home from war, he was given a glorious parade through the city streets. And as a way of boasting about his victory, he would have all the captured nobles and generals walk behind him. And then at the very end of the parade would come all the captured soldiers who were going to be executed They would be taken into the theatre where thousands of people would be entertained by watching these prisoners of war be torn apart by wild animals. Well, the Corinthians in Corinth, the, the Christians in Corinth, they thought of themselves as those who were at the front of that parade, in the place of recognition and honour and power. With some sanctified sarcasm, Paul said, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. Verse 8. As a church, these people thought they'd arrived. That they were spiritual and successful. And so in their minds, they were already being honoured by God. They were already reigning with Christ, enjoying all the prosperity and comfort and honour that Jesus died to give them. And if that had been true, 
If it had been true, Paul would have been delighted. He says in verse 8, How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we could become kings with you. Paul was not one of these people who, who, who loved suffering or who delighted in struggles. He would have loved it if this church really had arrived. In fact, that's what he was looking forward to. Paul knew that through their faith in Jesus, these believers truly had become children of God. Children of the king, a a royal priesthood, raised to to worship the one who had rescued them. As, As he said to the church in Ephesus, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This was their true identity. And because of this, Paul knew that one day, when Jesus returned, they would reign with Christ. They would share in his glory. So he wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 3 and 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. On that day, they really will have all that they want. They will be rich. They will be kings. This is the the fullness of the glorious inheritance that Jesus won for us on the cross. He died so that one day we might share in his glory. But Paul also knew that the time for this glory hadn't yet arrived. Before that day, these believers, like all of us who have trusted in Christ, have been called to suffer. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Roman church. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If indeed we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Sufferings first, then glory later. And so Paul pointed this, these Corinthians to that reality By encouraging them to follow in his example. He wasn't living as if he was at the front of that parade. You know, getting all the glory and the praise. Living it up as a king. Instead, with the rest of the apostles, he was like one of those prisoners of war at the back of the parade. Being marched to their death. He said in verse verse 9, God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. Paul was not living his best life now. He was not enjoying peace and prosperity and prominence. His life was very different from how the Corinthians viewed themselves. They saw themselves as wise and strong and honoured, as he says in verse 10. 
But he and the apostles, they look like fools and weak and dishonoured. Paul looked like a fool because he'd given up his position and power and privilege as a Jewish rabbi in order to preach the gospel. And his ministry brought intense suffering and loss into his life. Look at verse 11. He says, we go, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. That's the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel that's increasingly popular these days. These men, these apostles, they served God in poverty and in need. And he says in verse 12, we work hard with our own hands. Paul didn't live off the donations of others. Instead, he worked as a tent maker to provide for himself and his team. Something that would have been looked down on by these sophisticated Corinthians. Then look at verse 12 and 13. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Throughout their ministry, the apostles were criticised and attacked and imprisoned and condemned. And yet they did not fight back. Instead, they responded with love. And with grace. And so far from being treated like kings. Paul and the other apostles. Were treated like the scum of the earth. The refuse. Of the world. Now Paul wasn't complaining here. He wasn't giving out about this. He wasn't looking for pity. From the Corinthian church here. He willingly accepted this. Not because he loved suffering, but he loved Christ. And he loved the men and the women and the young people that Jesus had died for. He said in, in his second letter to this church in Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And so Paul was willing to to walk in the footsteps of his Lord. He was so impacted by the, the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. He was willing to love people, even when it called him to give his life for them. But he also knew that no matter what it cost him, it would be worth it in the end. Also in that, in that letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17, Paul said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Yes, there is, is incredible suffering now. But that will pale into insignificance compared with the glory that is to come. So this is what leading like Christ looks like. It's not about living in the limelight, enjoying praise 
and privileges and prosperity. Instead, it's costly because it's following in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who went to the cross for us. It is about loving others with the love of Christ, even when it costs us everything. And this is what we're all called to. This is the life that we're all called. This is the example we're called to live out in front of people. This is what we, this is how we know what love is. 1 John 3.16 says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Leading like Christ is caring and it is costly. But thirdly, it's also collaborative. Paul saw himself as having a unique role in this church as their founding father. But he didn't think he could do everything by himself. So he said in verse 17, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. At this time, Paul was on his third missionary journey. And he was ministering in Ephesus, where God was powerfully at work. But he was still concerned about what was happening in Corinth. And so he decided to send Timothy there to to minister in his place. So Paul, he wasn't a kind of lone ranger kind of guy who thought he could do all on his own. He wasn't interested in going it alone. Throughout the book of Acts, in fact, we can see him serving as part of a team again and again. And in his letters, he mentions some of these fellow workers, not just Timothy, but also Barnabas and Silas and Titus and Philemon and Epaphroditus and Mark and Luke and Priscilla and Aquila and many, many others. And Paul will teach more about this in chapter 12 of this letter. He says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. All of us who have trusted in Jesus are part of his body. And he invites us to live in connection with him, but also in communion with each other. Because each of us are equally valuable and equally necessary if we are going to be everything that God calls us to be. And so Christian leadership is not self-focused, and neither is it self-sufficient. Rather, it's about how we can encourage others to fulfill God's call on their lives. That was the role of the apostles and the the prophets and the evangelists and the apostles, uh, the the pastors and teachers that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, God gave those people to the church to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. But it's not just the role of some people in the church. It's the role of all of us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love. And good deeds. As a church, God has called each of us to teach and admonish one another 
to encourage one another to be all that God has called us to be so that together we may fulfill his calling as a community of his people. But finally, just as we do this, sometimes we need to confront some really difficult issues. Look at verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Paul really loved these believers, as a father loves his kids. But that didn't mean he was soft on them. Instead, it meant that he was willing to challenge them about how they were living. He was willing to correct the wrong beliefs and behaviours and even to deal strongly with serious issues if that's what was required. So in Paul's absence, some people in this church had fallen into arrogance and pride. Their lives were far from what God wanted them. So Paul, he would rather have gone to visit them and enjoyed warm fellowship with them. But he was willing in this letter and also in person to confront their sin. And to call them to repentance and restoration. And in this way Paul was following the example of Jesus. Throughout his ministry as we see as him, him minister in the, throughout, the book of the, uh, throughout the Gospels. Jesus expressed amazing compassion in, in to gently reach out to those who were humble and distressed. But we also see him express amazing courage to powerfully confront the proud and the rebellious. And so James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if we're going to lead like Christ, then we need to do both. In love, we need to be gracious to those who are broken and hurting. But in love, we also need to be courageous, (coughs) excuse me, to confront those who are stubborn and rebellious. And we'll think more about how we should be doing this next week as we look at chapter 5 of this letter. But for today, this is what Christian leadership looks like. It's not about things like position and privilege and prominence. Rather, it is caring. Caring for others by setting them a good example to follow. It is costly. Because it requires that we lay down our lives for others. It is collaborative because we can't do it all on our own. And it is confronting because we need to be willing to speak up about the difficult issues in people's lives. And all of that is because Christian leadership is not about following the pattern of this world. But instead, it's about leading like Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I just thank you for the perfect example 
of, of, of leadership, the true example of leadership that we can see in Jesus. That he, he loved us. He loved us unconditionally and faithfully with an unfailing love. I mean, he loved us so much that he was willing to set us an example to follow. And he was able to say, come, follow me, because he was the perfect revelation of your, your holiness and your grace. But Father, we also thank you that he was willing to love us, even when it was costly, even when it cost him everything, even his own life on the cross, laying down his life for us. And Father, thank you that he invites people to to serve alongside him, that he works in, in partnership with us. He invites us to be part of his team. And thank you, Father, that he was willing to be courageous enough to confront the issues in people's lives when he was here on this earth, but also he's willing to confront the issues in our lives. He's willing to to challenge us and bring us to repentance and restoration. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us, as Paul did, to follow the example of Jesus in our our church, in our family, within our friends, within our community, in our workplace, wherever it is you call us to live out our lives. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be that influence for good. Lord, help us to love people. Help us to love people so much that we're willing to lay down our lives for them. Help us to work together as a a body of believers here that you've, you've placed us in. And Lord, help us to love even when it means that we need to confront difficult issues and sensitive situations. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. In, in all of our different areas, in all of our different lives, lives, in all of our different ministries, to lead like Christ did, so that people might be able to see our example, and our example would point them to Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. Father, we just pray that this would be a reality in each one of our lives, for for Your honour, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.